This Tailgate Society podcast is brought to you by our good friends at Deadeye Premium Barbecue Products. Born in Iowa and made in the heartland, Deadeye is your go-to source for everything barbecue. Sauces, seasonings, you name it. They've made a science out of great grilling flavor. It's more than a sauce. Whether you're cooking sliders, dogs, steak, or chicken, Deadeye has the explosive flavor needed to make every dish delicious. Try a splash of their sweet and smoky original recipe or turn up the heat with their Magnum Edition barbecue sauce. Both flavors are available in seasonings as well as sauces. So pick your favorite and prepare your taste buds for an unforgettable eating experience. Deadeye Premium Barbecue products are available at Fairway, Hy-Vee, Amazon, or at DeadeyeBBQ.com. Hello and welcome to Culture Check Harry Potter, the Tailgate Society podcast. Please check the TailgateSociety.com and subscribe to Tailgate Society podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. I am Arnold Woods. I'm joined by Emily Cornell. Emily, what is going on? You know, continuing to just read Harry Potter, watch the movies, enjoy um, something of my childhood during quarantine. How, how's yeah. it going for you? It's going well. Um, I've said before on here that I'm going to wait. I'm trying to wait at least until the yeah. end of the year to do my re-read uh, re, re, re of the series. And I think I'm also going to listen to Binge Mode Harry Potter as I read the series, which I've never done before. I only started re- uh, listening to that podcast last year. So I'm I excited think be to fine. see how that goes. Yeah, it's going to take a lot longer. Yeah. But that's fine with me. Like, I'm, I'm cool immersing myself in the world for a long time. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Binge Mode gets so deep in it. And because they look at it, like, as the whole, the whole series, it just, it adds so much when they, like, reference something from a different book that will happen like, oh, she's setting it up here in this book for what, like there's the foreshadowing. So um, it's, it's definitely fun. So I'm looking forward to hearing how that goes for you. Yeah, I'll definitely be, we'll be talking about that. I'm sure for a long time, we'll be communicating with that via text, via email, via carrier pigeon, whatever it is. I'll, uh, yeah, exactly. Wow. How did I not think of that? It's a damn Harry Potter podcast and I didn't think about <laughs> sending you an owl. That's on me. Um, yeah, so today, today's episode, uh, we're going to get into a really good discussion. I'm excited about this episode. This might be the episode I'm excited the most about, and I wasn't anticipating that, but this is the episode where we're going to discuss the Hogwarts houses. And what we're going to do, the conversation is going to go in this direction. We're going to do a brief overview of the four houses of Hogwarts uh, we're going to focus on Hogwarts. We know that through like Pottermore, there are um, there's more information about other wizarding schools in different parts of the world and how they sort in the houses and things like that. But we're going to keep this Hogwarts focused. We're going to talk about the houses, do some notable alumni of each house and our thoughts on that. And then Emily and I both took a, a pretty unique quiz to determine which house we belong to. That's kind of a thing that's a part of Harry Potter fan culture is sorting yourself into a house. And later on in the episode, as a part of our main discussion, Emily's going to explain that, that quiz a little bit, and then we're going to discuss our results. And we haven't discussed our results prior to this. So I'm excited to hear Emily's results. I'm pretty sure she's excited to hear mine. And yep. yeah, we're going to take the combo in that direction. And I'm, I'm very excited about that. Anything you want to, kind of cover before we get into our discussion of the houses at all um i do want to say that there are spoilers ahead um even if you have read to the chapter 
in Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone where people get sorted into houses. Um, now might be a good time for you to just pop on out of here. Thank you for listening. Please come back um, because we will definitely be talking about um, def- characters and probably their stories that are like later in the series. So that's all I have to say about that because their behavior and their house, they kind of go together. So um, that's what I have to start. Very good. Thank you, everyone who is um, logging off right now. We appreciate you, but now we have to we have to get down to business here. Uh, we're going to start with Ravenclaw, and again, we're going to it's the house overview is going to be you know kind of brief. We'll we'll discuss some things, and if you're listening still, I mean, you have a pretty good idea of what the houses are and what they're known for and things like that. But uh, we'll start with Ravenclaw. Ravenclaw's house is known for their intelligence, their wits and their cleverness. And there's also, if you want to look at it from a, a kind of a negative slant, there also, there's a perception that they're kind of cold and calculating. Um, some of the notable alumni of Ravenclaw House, uh, as a part of our story, Luna Lovegood, Cho Chang, Professor Sybil Trelawney, and Mr. Ollivander, the wand maker. Um, Emily, what do you think of when you think about Ravenclaw House in the series? Like, what, what springs to mind to you? Um... I think of them being those people who are just like the most intelligent people in the room, but like the quite like, I mean, we'll talk about the Slytherins, but like, you know, they're, they're all smart people, but like the Ravenclaws, they're like, they kind of keep to themselves um, that like ivory tower, like they're probably creating whatever new gadgets or whatever that are coming into the wizarding world. Um, in ones that are like useful (laughs) I because like Fred and George Weasley obviously like have their joke shop and they created all of that but um I would never like throw them into Ravenclaw for it whereas I can't think of like the Deluminator like if Dumbledore hadn't created it I would have been like ah someone in Ravenclaw would have created this gadget so um that's just the quiet, intelligent person. And um, that's what, when I think of just like the stereotypical Ravenclaw, like what comes to mind for you for them? Yeah, pretty similar. I, for Ravenclaw, the first thing that I think of is intelligence. Like Mm -hmm. that's the smart house, I guess, quote unquote. And I think about how, you know, later on in our discussion, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about how sorting yourself into a house has become part of the fan culture. Yeah. And I think that a lot of fans consider themselves to be Ravenclaw because they think they're smart, you know, that's, that's just kind of the perception I get. I don't know how true that is or not, but um, that's what I, that's what I think of. The first thing is just intelligence. And then um, as far as the book series specifically, um, the first person I think of is Luna. Luna's love good is I would say, the most prominent Ravenclaw student. Yes. Um, she gets the most um, screen time, if you will. Uh, her and Cho, but I think that, you know, Luna, Luna has a much more significant role in the story than, oh, yeah. than Cho does. And the scene in Deathly Hallows, again, you know, Deathly Hallows is my favorite book as, as we've covered before, but the scene towards the end of Deathly Hallows where, Harry and Ron and Hermione have come back to Hogwarts to look for the final Horcruxes. 
and um, they're under the invisibility cloak. Like they go into, they, they feel, they realize that the diadem is, is a Horcrux. And so mm-hmm. Luna takes Harry to uh, the Ravenclaw, Ravenclaw common room and they're under the invisibility cloak and the McGonagall's there and, and the Carols are there who are the two death eaters who have been placed on staff at the school. And like that entire scene where one of them spits like at McGonagall and like Harry takes off the cloak and performs the Cruciatus curse on them. Like that's just a really harrowing scene that I love. One of my favorite scenes in that book. So that springs to mind for me for, for Ravenclaw. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. No, no, I just, I was like, oh yeah, that's like a fairly big, because like the Ravenclaws, it's not that they necessarily fly under the radar, but they're definitely, it goes back to, they're the, the bookish people they kind of keep to themselves um and then at the end in deathly hollows when they do need to get the diadem like then you kind of see like where they live and it's like the first time you're like oh like this is more it like reveals a little bit more about them and you still don't know a ton um but yeah yeah that's a good point like we spend so much time in the gryffindor exactly. common room and then in the second book, we go into the Slytherin common room when mm-hmm. um, Harry and Ron are in disguise as Crabbe and Goyle. And so, yeah, this is the first time that we see the Ravenclaw common room. And I don't think we see the Hufflepuff common room at all yeah, in the series I don't think so, no. that I can think of. But yeah, that's just, it's a, it's, that's a good point that you make where it's another setting in the castle that we haven't seen. And it becomes so vivid to us. Like they get up there and, and Luna has to answer the riddle in order to get in. Like there's a password for Gryffindor that we, you know, that's one of the plot lines of the entire book. And you get to Ravenclaw and it's a little different. Like you have to, you know, solve a riddle. And so that's, that's pretty interesting as well. What are your, we just mentioned Cho briefly. What are your thoughts on Cho Chang um, as a character, as a, as a Ravenclaw? What do you think of about her? Do you, do you we didn't really discuss her at all in our last side characters episode. So I think that this is a, this episode is a good opportunity for us to kind of talk about some of the side characters that we didn't get to last, last yeah. episode. But what are your, what are your thoughts on Cho Chang? Um, I like Cho enough. Like she is a good character. I think she could have been a little bit stronger of a character. Um, like she kind of is written as like a, passive love interest for Harry and it would have been cool to just see her more than that and like you kind of do like she has the opportunity to in like Deathly Hallows but um she was she kind of feels just like a piece just to like help with the story not necessarily like a character that like J.K. Rowling was like yeah let's just like develop Cho into like her own very interesting person like Harry thinks she's attractive, but then it goes on and he wants to go to the Yule Ball with her and then she's with Cedric. And then, like, after Cedric, like, he's like, well, okay. And, like, they kind of try, but I I don't know. I feel like in all of it, she could have just been, like, more prominent. And um, she's, like, a fine character and she's, like, obviously intelligent and, um, like, a good like she is a good person, but um, I don't have like the warmest feelings towards Cho. How do you feel about her? I really agree with what you said about 
her she's like a plot device almost yeah like it's harry needs to have a crush on someone and so cho chang is created and she serves that function within the plot so she's i kind of i agree with you i see her more as just like a plot device or something to move the plot forward versus a developed character she's one of the characters that when i read her i think really strongly about the actress who played her in the in the movies um katie leong Mm-hmm. the scottish actress um yeah it's i have a really when i read her on the page like that there's not a lot of characters where i'm like that because i'm uh i pretty much separate the books and the movies mm-hmm. as the two separate mediums but for some for whatever reason like when i read Cho, like i have the image of katie leong and, and she does a good job yeah mm-hmm. i think that in the in the fourth movie that. Um, the situation with Harry and like you mentioned, trying to find someone for the Yule Ball and, um, you know, it's relatable when you're 14 or whatever, 14 or 15, and you're trying to um, approach a love interest or, or show, show an interest in, in someone of the opposite sex or, or the same sex or whatever, if you're whoever you're interested in and being nervous and, you know, apprehensive. And so she's representative of that. I think she's, she represents the the teen angst or anxiety about approaching a love interest and wondering if um, if someone likes you, if this girl likes you, if this guy likes you, or you know what's going to happen if you if you try to talk to them and they reject you, like that type of thing. And then, like you mentioned, after Cedric's death and and the how that kind of that dynamic is introduced, and and uh, it's really interesting. It's interesting, interestingly written where Hermione has to explain to Harry and Ron the conflict that she has in terms of, you know, she likes Harry, but she still misses Cedric and she kind of conflates the, her feelings with Cedric and Harry. So, and then you see, you know, Ron and Harry who are just like, what? Like, you know, yeah. just like kind of don't understand because they're teenage boys. So, yeah. So, it would have been nice if Cho had been further developed and like really see like another have more representation of like what a Ravenclaw or like one of the various types of people that could be in Ravenclaw. Um, but she just isn't like developed to that point where you're like, Oh yes, I have like a very strong feeling that she belongs in Ravenclaw. Um, it's just not there, but that's just kind of the story. It's not necessarily about Cho in any of the books. Right. Um, when thinking about Ravenclaw, obviously these people are all very like, clever and intelligent and like they think through things very well do you think that Hermione would have been a good fit for this house I think so yeah I think that there's a a part in the books where it's kind of mentioned I can't remember which book it is but there's someone who mentions to her like I thought she would have been good in in Ravenclaw maybe it's a Ravenclaw speaking to her maybe it's um one of the staff members I think Sprout is the Ravenclaw um uh, Sprout head is the head of Hufflepuff. Hufflepuff. Uh, I think Flitwick is Flitwick, okay. the head of Ravenclaw. Yeah. Okay, so maybe it's maybe it's Professor Flitwick, or I don't know who it was, but um, yeah. it's it's been mentioned in the yeah in the books before, and you know you know Harry or Hermione is synonymous with intelligence. Yeah. So I think that um, I think that she would have been a good fit in Ravenclaw, and this this is one of the things about the houses where it's just like. 
you know, Hermione is obviously very brave. If you look at the, the, yeah. you know, all the things that she's been through, all the things that she's been willing to do, um, all of the, you know, the experiences that she's had where she's had to display her bravery and her, um, you know, her just nerve, her daring or whatever. I, I don't think that if you place a different, if you substitute her for a Ravenclaw, I don't think, you know, depending on who it is, I don't think that they necessarily like shrink away from it. It's just, um, the labels that get placed on the students based on their houses. And that's, that's something that we'll talk about a little bit later, but, um, it's just, you know, it's, you're, you're made who you are by your circumstances. Yeah. And so, you know, Hermione, I thought, I think she would have thrived in Ravenclaw in the same way that she, that she thrived uh, with Gryffindor. Yeah, I agree. I just, like I asked, because like Luna is, she's Ravenclaw. Um, and she's just as, like brave and has just as much nerve as Hermione. 100%. Uh, And so it's just like, it's interesting where they're similar in that. Like they're both very, very brainy. Like they're very smart and people know they're smart and they don't necessarily flaunt it. Um, At times like Hermione does to Harry and Ron, but like they kind of need that reminder because they sometimes just like take her for granted. Um, So I'm like, oh, well, like, by the end of the series, I'm still like, oh, she would have done fine. Like, I don't understand. Like, I do understand why she was placing Gryffindor, but I'm like, she just as easily could have been in Ravenclaw if, and like Luna could have been in Gryffindor. Like, I wonder what like the, what tipped in one way as opposed to the other in terms of the sorting hat. This isn't in our notes, but like, I think about how Harry kind of willed his way into Gryffindor. Yeah. And so I wonder how, if other students did the same thing. Now, Harry did that because he had heard that Slytherin was where, you know, bad wizards went or whatever. So that's the only, he wasn't thinking, put me in Gryffindor. He was thinking, don't put me in Slytherin. So I wonder if that sort of thing is taken into account when you, when you talk about the sorting hat. Maybe. And maybe like Hermione, like in that she was like, when she was getting sorted, she knew she was smart and she was, you know, really big on reading all of the books. Like she had read all of them already. Um, but she wanted to be around people who would like push her in different ways. Like maybe she was like, I know that I'm going to, no matter what, I'm going to be like smart and like very diligent about my studies, but like there I'm more than that. And um, perhaps that was how it worked out. I don't know. Not the sorting hat. <laughs> right. We don't know how the sorting hat thinks. Not at all. So do you want to talk about our next house? Yes. So the next house is Hufflepuff. Um, these members of the house, uh, members of Hufflepuff are known for being like trustworthy and hard workers and loyal. Um, they kind of get like the, the negative of it, the way people can kind of talk about them are like weak, kind of soft um like if you've seen any of the like parodies of harry potter there's one where they're like making fun of hufflepuffs and it's like i'm hufflepuff and like they can't say anything else about being a hufflepuff part of that is um throughout the series we don't see like we have hufflepuffs and they're like side characters very like they are perfect side characters but we don't get like this super in-depth look at what like makes a hufflepuff 
Um, of course, J.K. Rowling writes about them in a positive way. I think she writes about almost every house very positively, even Slytherin, despite it producing lots of bad people. Um, so some like notable Hufflepuffs in the Harry Potter world, Cedric Diggory, Newt Scamander, Nymphadora Tonks, Professor Sprout. Um, so all of like, you think of these characters and like, you like them, um, depending on if you've like seen Fantastic Beasts or read the like little book that J.K. Rowling wrote as like a, an additional book. Um, they're like good people. You think of them and you're like, yeah, they're nice. And that's it. Like, and nice is such a terrible adjective because it means you like don't have anything else to say. You're just like, oh yeah, like oatmeal's nice. I'm like, okay, like you can say something better. And so <laughs> call them oatmeal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like I think that they kind of get boxed into that. Like within the like fandom like yeah there are plenty of people who are like no like there's more to being a hufflepuff than just being like nice but i think like i think back to when i first would like read through the series and even in high school where i was like yeah like the hufflepuffs don't do anything (laughs) and that's not true there are like lots of hufflepuffs that like are good and like they do good things and like are kind people like they're very like kind-hearted like newt scamander um this is where like fantastic beasts kind of shows a very he's like obviously is breaking a lot of rules um to protect all of these animals he does not care about rules slytherins don't care about rules but like the difference is uh it's not like i think of a slytherin being like the end justifies the means and a Hufflepuff is like, I just want to like save the world. I just want it to be a better place. So um, I think that kind of helps take it away from them just being like, oh, well, they're nice and like friendly people. Like, no, they they do work hard and they're very dedicated and they're very loyal and they're very like feeling. They, they want to just like make sure people are taken care of. Um, we'll talk about the Enneagram a little bit later, but I think they are like an, a two. They are, Hufflepuffs are an Enneagram two. They just want to take care of people and love people. Um, so what are kind of your thoughts on Hufflepuff? I kind of shared my very convoluted idea there. No, I agree with a lot of what you said. And as you were, as you were speaking, I, I kind of thought about how one of the things, and maybe this is, maybe this is indicative of the house itself, but do, I think that, Hufflepuff students or alumni or whatever are the least associated with their house. Cause I look at the, I look at the names that we've been talking about, right? Like, so like Cedric Diggory, Newt Scamander and Nymphadora Tonks, right? Those three, like those are pretty prominent people in the series yeah. for various reasons. Um, Cedric is, you know, obviously he, he, he loses his life, but he's known as this, you know, good, handsome, loyal student, you know, helps Harry, Harry helps him, that kind of thing. And then you just talked about Newt, um, who's kind of getting a lot more shine as the, as the featured guy in these Fantastic Beast movies. And, and then Tonks, like, Newt is, Newt and Tonks specifically, like, I wouldn't even known that they were Hufflepuff. 
Yeah. But I, I had to, like, we were, while we were prepping for this, I was looking at um, different websites and trying to figure out, you know, who, who were the alumni of which house. And, like, I would have assumed Tonks was like Gryffindor. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't even thought about where, what Newt was. So I just don't I think that Ravenclaw. Yeah, right? So, like, I just didn't even... I I don't really associate them with their houses. And so the only one who I do is Cedric Diggory. Yeah. So when I think of when I think of Hufflepuff, the th- the first thing that pops to mind is in the middle of Goblet of Fire where Cedric is chosen as the Hogwarts champion first mm-hmm. for the Triwizard tournament and how that's kind of Hufflepuff finally getting some shine, right? Yeah. Like the other houses are kind of more more prominent, certainly Gryffindor and then, you know, Slytherin or whatever. But the Hogwarts champion is Cedric. And then cut to, you know, 10 minutes later and there's a malfunction with the cup and then Harry's name pops out. And so there's this conflict throughout the book. Like that's a major plot point of the middle of the book where Hufflepuffs are salty because, okay, here comes this underage Gryffindor kid who somehow got his name in the cup. And then, you know, that's taking shine away from Hufflepuff. And then all the other houses, too, kind of rallying around just to be like, wow, another Gryffindor again. So um, the first thing that I think of with Hufflepuff is how they don't get a lot of shine. And then how um, when they finally do, it gets, you know, taken away from them still somehow. So I, it's it's tough for for that house in terms of, you know, the major characters that they do get, again, like you don't really think of them, or at least I don't, like I didn't really, you, I don't really think of them being associated with their house versus the other houses where it's kind of the other characters, the other main characters are really, it's kind of, we get reminded over and over again what house they're a part of. Yeah, that's really, it's really interesting that you point that out because I didn't ever think about that, how you don't really... For a lot of the Hufflepuffs, it's not pointed out or they don't like, it's not as wrapped up in their identity as it is for others. Um, so maybe that's like why when we do see Hufflepuffs throughout the books, like they're there and they like are obviously like important characters, but because they're not like, well, I'm Hufflepuff. This is how I'm going to behave. Like, they're just like, they're just here. They're just happy to be here. Um, and I still don't feel like they are prominent enough that we get like a holistic idea of like what truly makes a Hufflepuff then if it's just like, because Tonks versus Cedric Diggory versus Newt Smith, like they're all very different people. Yeah, I agree. I think that when you're known for, when your house is known for like being hard workers. Yeah. Right. Like, okay, well, how do you really show that? Like, yeah. you just show them going to a lot of classes or like, what do you, what does that look like in terms of what we're reading? Like, it's kind of hard to point that out. And I think that Newt is someone where you kind of see it, right? You see Newt's passion for animals. You see. Yes newts the links that he'll go through to like you know make sure that these fantastic you know creatures are safe and that they're not hurting anyone else and he puts himself in really dangerous situations in order to take care of these animals 
So, you know, new to someone where I see it. And you could, if you want to look at someone like Tonks, who puts in a lot of work with the order, um, yeah. the order of the Phoenix, but like, so does everyone else, you know what I mean? So it's this, it's Newt really is the embodiment of the house in a way that we don't really see from other people. But that's not to say that those other people in Hufflepuff aren't working hard because they are. It's just tough to get that across, I think, in, in a book series like this. Yeah, they would have, that's very true. Like she'd have to write another story. I mean, Fantastic Beasts is another story about a Hufflepuff, but I think um, I, I'm just more stories. Basically, someone just needs to write a story about a Hufflepuff just showing that they're hardworking and really doing a lot, but also being cheerful about it. I don't know. For sure. Do you want to talk about the Gryffindors? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. What is there to say about Gryffindor house uh, that hasn't already been said, you know, Gryffindor is the house that's known for their bravery and their daring and their chivalry. Um, some of the negative descriptors of, of Gryffindor can be headstrong and stubborn and self-righteous. I think that we can see that in a number of the main characters. Yeah. Um, the, some notable alumni, obviously, the trio, Harry, Ron, and Hermione, all Gryffindor, Professor Dumbledore, Professor McGonagall, um, all of the Weasley, Weasley siblings, um, Neville Longbottom, and then in the generation before uh, the focus of this story, uh, James Potter... Um, Remus Lupin and, and Sirius Black, three of the Marauders. And yeah, so, you know, Gryffindor is really the frame through which we view the series. Um, that house is, you know, it's our entryway into the magical world because the story is told from Harry's perspective and Harry's a Gryffindor. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, Harry and his friends are, are all Gryffindors. And we, like we said earlier, we spend the most time with the Gryffindors in their common rooms, in the in their dorms, with with Harry, Ron, and, and Seamus and and Dean, um, we we talked about Neville in our in our last episode in the, in the side characters episode. Are there any other Gryffindor um, side characters that you that we should mention? Maybe. Um, I don't think there are any that like we've not like talked about a lot. Um, because they're like you said like that's how we're like experiencing this world through harry so like well i guess there's like yeah no you just named everyone so um they as you were talking about as you're naming all of them and i was thinking about like okay who did we miss but like all of the gryffindors are well they're not similar in personality I would say that they're all like very sure of who they are. Like that is one thing that like each character who is a Gryffindor is very like, they're sure of like their morals and like where they stand on things and they're like nice and they don't really care if like they're the smartest. I mean, they want to win, but they just like every, every single Gryffindor character that we interact with is just like very, I don't want to say like confident, but they just, they are who they are and they like kind of stick with it. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. I I did like the self-assuredness and 
Yeah. There's there's a self-awareness there um a bit. We we've mentioned Hermione, uh the Gryffindor who, you know, would have probably done really well in Ravenclaw as well. Um Hermione, like we said, is, you know, she her character, you think of intelligence, we think of her. I also think of like a Dumbledore who is, you know, known as not only a super powerful wizard, but also just like a brilliant yeah. wizard. And, you know, disca- discovered those, did however many uses for dragon's blood and all this other stuff. And, you know, he, Dumbledore is the one who came up with the Patronus being able to send messages. Like he invented that spell to work that way. So he's someone who is also this like brilliant mind, you know, inventive mind yeah who also probably would have done well as a ravenclaw but who is who is a gryffindor so it's not just, a rules guy <laughs> no yeah and you mentioned that too in terms of like you know hufflepuffs and slytherin breaking the rules it's like also like who who what people break the rules more than the trio like they're they exactly. break every rule in the book and they're gryffindor so yeah it's and they make like slytherin their motives for breaking rules are very like Again, the end justifies the means. That is, like, how I view them breaking rules. So they won't do it unless they, like, see some value in how they can get ahead with it. Um, Hufflepuffs will break the rules to, like, help people. Gryffindors will break the rules because why not? (laughs) And, like, they just, like, their own curiosity getting the better of them. Like, that's how the trio ends up in a lot of situations is they're just like, I'm just so curious and I can't help myself and I have to break this rule. Um, and then the Ravenclaws, you don't hear about them breaking the rules until, you know, like, the Deathly Hallows and um, they're part of Dumbledore's army. But, um, yeah, no, I think I understand now. As we talk through this, Hermione could have been in Ravenclaw but part of her really did want to just like be like let's just break the rules for absolute chaos let's just do it let's see what happens I think of like the interaction between Hermione and Umbridge yeah you can see kind of multiple layers there as to why she's a Gryffindor so first of all like the headstrongness and stubbornness yes where and it's all three of those. So it's the headstrongness, it's the stubbornness, and then like the propensity to break rules where she has this interaction with Umbridge where she knows that Umbridge is like a plant from the ministry and they, she does, like Umbridge doesn't want the students to perform magic and doesn't want the students to acknowledge Voldemort's return. And so they have this back and forth where Umbridge is trying to get Hermione to conform to her way of thinking and her way of doing things and Hermione's just shooting back, right? Like the, the headstrongness. Well, I've already read the entire book. I, you know, I know what you're about to ask me. I have some questions for you, blah, blah, blah. So it's like the, it's the headstrongness and the stubbornness. And then Hermione developing the idea for Dumbledore's, Dumbledore's army. Yeah. Where they can train and, and, and break, you know, a pretty significant rule, which is, you know, meeting in secret and, 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 training to use these defensive spells and these offensive spells. So it's like all of those things, like her, the, her interaction and relationship with, with Umbridge is a really, um, it really encapsulates why she is a Gryffindor and how Gryffindors respond to um, what they feel is basically like an oppressive situation. 
Yeah. Let's go to, do you want to go to the next one? Yes. So the final house is Slytherin. Um, These folks are known for being cunning, ambitious, and like very unfortunately in this series, evil, um, which is really their like negative thing. Like I don't think there's any context for being known as evil is like positive. Um, It is interesting that like, because they're, you know, associated with being ambitious. Um, it's also like kind of linked to that being evil. Um, notable alumni, Snape, Merlin, Voldemort, Bellatrix Lestrange, uh, Horace Slughorn, Draco Malfoy, and like his whole family and Regulus Black. Um, Real quick. Can we talk about Merlin? Is that yeah. like, a, like I looked that up. I was just like looking at alumni. And I, I was on like one of the like one of the Harry Potter wikis or whatever, and like Merlin yeah. was there. I was like, "Yo, what is that confirmed? Like, can we get can J.K. like confirm that? Maybe she has before, but I was just like, damn, like I did not know that. I know she's mentioned Merlin in the books, and I don't yeah. remember if she like outright says that he was uh, a Slytherin. Well, I will check the first book because I think it's actually mentioned there when they talked about, cause like it's when Ron is telling Harry about Slytherin and okay. people who were in Slytherin where he's like, that would have been the time. I don't know if he okay. definitely said Merlin we'll check. We'll circle back with a re- an answer. Yeah. Um, let's get you. We'll, we'll speak with our researchers on that. AKA <laughs> us. I was yeah. just like, damn, like I just did not, I did not realize that. I'm not saying it's not true. I just was like, damn, I didn't, I must've missed that one. It's, um, I feel like it would have been just like a very small, small detail, but um, I don't know. So being evil, I feel like the Slytherins get a very bad reputation in these books for good reason, because Voldemort, <laughs> like that pretty much sums it up. And Draco Malfoy, like who is Harry and Ron's like at school nemesis. Um but like, even if Draco were in like a different house and like his family was still his fam, like very um, elitist and like rude, I think Harry and Draco still would have disagreed and not liked each other. Um, because the, like Snape very much sucks. Like we've talked about this. Like definitely not a great guy with very how he much treats sucks. Harry. One hundred percent. Like, not getting a good guy of the year award, but, like, when he was younger, like, it's not like when you're 11 years old and maybe the Sorting Hat could see his, like, his life. We don't know enough about the Sorting Hat to know how far into the future it can predict behavior. And maybe it knew that, like, Snape was insecure. I think that was a thing for people being in Slytherin is that they're, like, maybe their ambition is, like, a result of insecurity because, like, Snape behaves in a way that's insecure Voldemort is insecure he gets all of these followers who I would guess that people join a cult because they're insecure um Draco Malfoy like his dad is part of said cult the Death Eaters and then he is just like Draco Malfoy only has what he has because his family is like super rich like if he was just like an average person like he'd have to actually have a personality beyond being like a jerk 
You just blew my mind. That's wild. Like I never even thought about that. That's I, I agree with you so much. Like I just never, I never heard it framed that way with these people who are just like their insecurities fueling their ambition. And you're just so right with, you know, when you're, you're rallying around talking about like Voldemort specifically. Yeah. Excuse me. So like in, in uh, Half-Blood Prince, um, Dumbledore is talking to Harry about Tom Riddle as he got older, um, kind of being the leader of this like pack of like, you know, power hungry, impressionable students. Yeah. And they go on to become basically the first Death Eaters. Mm-hmm. And it's really, it's like hinted at that these are, you know, students who are attracted to power, attracted to... Um, this sort of sinister collection that Voldemort is, is um, you know, these sinister ideals or belief systems or, or whatever. They're, they're just, they're attracted to that. They're drawn to that. And it's really, I think it, he does really insinuate that these people are kind of like, you know, weak-minded and um, insecure. So yeah, I definitely, I a hundred percent agree with that. And I've never really connected it in that way, but I, I agree with what you just said completely. Well, then you think about like Peter Pettigrew, who I don't think was a Slytherin, but he like obviously was just like scared. He was scared. He was like, I don't know if he was pow- like looking for power the way the other folks were. Like where they're just like, well, if I can't have people actually like me, they're just going to fear me. I'm going to have all this power. Like, I don't think he was, he just was like, I just don't want to be like hurt. Um, which then would be why he would join the Death Eaters is because he's just like, I just, I could choose the right thing, but I am scared for my life. Like I value myself above anything else. Um, and he's probably one of the, the weaker Death Eaters. But then you have Horace Slughorn, who's not a Death Eater, was a Slytherin, was the head of the Slytherin house when Voldemort was a student and went by his name, Tom Riddle. Um, Like, what do you think of Slughorn as a character? So Slughorn in a way is like, he is the embodiment of (laughs) hashtag, not all Slytherins. Uh, (laughs) Like, like he's, he's that to me. So, so when you talk about like ambition and, um, you know, not cunning necessarily, but kind of like um, he's he's very he's focused on his own self interests. Yes, he and definitely not nece- is, and not necessarily like in an evil way. But he yeah. is very he's he's he embodies what Slytherin is in terms of not you know not every Slytherin is just pure evil. He's not an evil character at all. No. In my opinion, he's someone who's just, he looks out for himself. He is attracted to power, but not in a death eater way. Like he's, he's attracted to power in a way where it's like, um, look who I found basically. Like he kind of wants to be the guy who yeah. is, um, he's like a networker. I see, yes. I see him as like, a you know, as, as a junior executive who's trying to, grow his network so he can kind of advance up the ranks and he doesn't necessarily want to, you know, 
he doesn't want to be CEO necessarily, but he wants to be um, someone that the CEO trusts and yes. can run decisions by. So, you know, kind of the, the background player who is, who has a lot of clout, but yeah. you know, he's not necessarily the figurehead, but he's, he's the guy that knows the guy, yes. right? Like he's the guy who's, who's, who's making connections and it's all purely, you know, self-motivated. That's not to say that he doesn't, you know, care about people that he likes or anything like that, but he's, he's looking out for himself and he's, you know, um, he is, uh, if you want him to do something, you're, he's, he's a what's in it for me type of guy. So what do you, what are your, what are your thoughts on Slughorn? Um, I like him cause at least he's honest <laughs> about like what he wants. He just wants to be in the know. Like he wants the hot goss, um, and like has no shame asking for it. And he, how he like collects, like I'm like making air quotes of collect students um, where he just like wants to know students who like are doing really cool things. And he even, he just doesn't necessarily want to be in the spotlight, but he wants to be close enough that he can reap the benefits, you know, free tickets to all the Quidditch matches or like anytime he wants like the scoop from the daily profit, he knows one of the editor, like he wants to be like that. So I'm like, well, at least he like knows that he, that's what he wants. And he isn't like undercutting people for it. He's not hurting people. He's just like, no, I just want, I want this. Please help me get to this. Um, right. So I think that it, he just is a really interesting character. Uh, he was, he's one of the more fun characters to read about for, for me. Um, and then like, he obviously feels all of this like guilt about talking to Tom Riddle about Horcruxes. And so like, he's ambitious to a point where he's like, I will live and let live. But like after that, like I, I don't want any blood on my hands. I just want to like have a good time. Right. And really who doesn't just want to have a good time. Yeah. You're right. I think, (laughs) I think that like, I think he's a good example if you if you put him against like a Gryffindor. Yeah. I just think that he's like he has to be pushed to do the right thing. Yeah. More so than a Gryffindor does. Like a Gryffindor is just gonna, you know, have that strong moral instinct yeah. or whatever to just, you know, jump out and jump off the ledge and do it, versus Slughorn, who has to kind of be poked and prodded and um into doing the right thing. And, you know, Dumbledore giving Harry the mission to to retrieve the memory from Slughorn. Like, he has to go through these great lengths. It takes him the entire book, basically, in order to to do it. But he's not yeah. someone who's going to, you know, like I said, like, he's not an evil person at all. But he just no. kind of have to push him in the right direction versus um, a different character versus, uh, you know, a Gryffindor. Like a, like a McGonagall type. Like, yeah. that's kind of the difference where I see yeah I, and I agree with that. He's definitely like the passive bystander, which in itself is like it can be perceived as evil. like if you yeah. are watching something bad happen and you do nothing to stop it, like you're part of the problem, and he like that is him um if it's like, yeah. I think you explained it well where he just has to be like poked and prodded into it. And like, it just, he has to, he doesn't want to be inconvenienced by doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I hadn't really quick. I hadn't planned on this, but I just yeah. I, I feel like we're I'm in the moment right now. I feel like we have to do this. Can we talk about Draco for a second? Of course. Um, probably the most prominent Slytherin student. Um, he a hundred percent. He is the most prominent Slytherin. Yes. Student. one of the most prominent Slytherin characters. Period. Yes. Um, Draco. I I I want to get your thoughts on Draco. I we've had our Snape discussion. And Draco is like Snape to me, in a sense. But for some reason, I feel like I give Draco more slack than I do Snape. And I'm not sure why that is. Maybe I know why that is. Yeah, I think that is. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. I think that's... You you articulated it right off the bat. Like, right as I'm thinking it, I I think we're on the same wavelength. But, like, Draco, Draco, like, isn't a good guy. Like, he's not a good, like he's not one of the protagonists of the story by any means, but I think about how towards the end of his journey, kind of starting with half blood Prince, like Draco is the, he's the classic, like in over his head person who who wants to be important and who wants, um, who wants people to think he's the shit or whatever. But when he's actually thrown into a situation where like, this is a guy who in the fourth book is, you know, during the Quidditch world cup, the Death Eaters like storm or whatever. Yeah. And he's he's like on the sideline, like um, you know, he's kind of feeling himself and you know, like, yeah, yeah, you know, it's not a big deal to me. Like I, you know, I'm all for it, blah, blah, blah. But when it's his turn to actually like do some shit, then he realizes like, wow, like I'm really this isn't what I want to do. And he has this all this anxiety about, you know, he's punished by Voldemort to like through this impossible thing to, to kill Dumbledore. And you see the sixth book, you kind of see the toll that takes on him. Yeah. Um, culminating in him on the astronomy tower. And he's about to, you know, surrender to Dumbledore before the rest of the death eaters bust in. But like he's, he's, and then in the seventh book, like he's a prisoner in his own home and he, you know, essentially protects Harry and his friends Mm-hmm. when they are um taking them out for a manner when they're captured and everything like that so um i don't know what are your what are your thoughts on draco um i think that so like when he and harry start their beef in book 1 um like they're just like both not great to each other like they're both just rude to each other but they're also like kids like kids pick on each other and like it's not like you don't expect Draco to like be held to a higher standard like Snape because Snape is an adult man and Draco is 11 years old and then like throughout the years it's like Draco's picking on Harry Ron and Hermione I mean the way he picks on Ron it definitely highlights like the socioeconomic status thing that Ron is obviously insecure about um, sure. And then, like, when he calls Hermione a mudblood and, like, that's, like, him being kind of, it's, like, somewhat of a slur where he's just, like, no, you don't belong here because, like, you're not a pure blood or whatever. Um, and so he just kind of sits there in that space of just being, like, verbally, he's not right. <laughs> like, he should not, like, everyone knows that kid who's just, like, saying things they really shouldn't be saying and like in high school middle school like that's a time when like that's all kids can really 
like say to each other. It's not like they can be like, I have a whole take on your thought process at this point because kids aren't even talking about that. Um, And I think that because of his situation, he was definitely shaped by his environment. Like he did not try to actively get away from the influence of Lucius being a death eater and be, but like you also see towards the end, how like being a death eater really stressed out Lucius. Um, I think probably because they felt that like, yeah, they were very like wealthy and prominent in the wizarding community. But like at the end of the day, (laughs) um, Voldemort, scared them and like them having everything more than enough of anything could not protect them from Voldemort and that's what they like lean on is being like this rich snobby family that's just like we're better than everyone and like like no you're you're not Voldemort does not care he's like because money is not what's motivating Voldemort being like well liked or respect like that does not motivate him in any way like he just wants to have power. So um I like looking at him versus like Draco, who really just wants to be like his father, like his family. They just want to keep up appearances of being like this great family. Um and then him kind of realizing like I don't like like you said, he doesn't want to be a part of like killing Dumbledore. Um I th- I think that his situation just like forced him to behave in a way he didn't want to behave and like obviously it stressed him out and um he's probably one of the better I don't want to say he's like a good guy because like he's obviously not a good guy but like he has obviously thought about some of these things more it's like the kids like a better comparison would be to like kids whose parents like have some really hot takes and like those kids also have some of those hot takes and then they go out and they leave their parents house they like go live out in the world and they're like oh wow I can't just like call someone a slur because I actually have a friend who's black (laughs) like I can't say this hateful thing because I actually know someone that's hysterical (laughs) like and I think that's like Draco where he's like no I actually know people (laughs) like I feel guilt whereas like you know the theme of Voldemort is getting rid of the or at least the death eaters not necessarily Voldemort at the all of his goals but like the death eaters who we see in book four when they just want to like get rid of like when they are terrorizing people at the world cup and it's like uh, muggle born and people who are like uh they do like the muggles aka the weasleys (laughs) um like i think that he is like oh wait i actually i do know these people i know more i probably have friends in slytherin who are muggle-born like he's wrestling with a lot of things so he does get more grace than snape who again is an adult man (laughs) you were just like draco like grew up in in rural texas and then and then (laughs) he got to he got to college yeah he met some he met some students of color Yep. And he was like, wow, I got to really like re- reshape my worldview. This is crazy. Yes. But what is parents? Same time, yeah. His parents donated to Ted Cruz. Oh. That's the environment he was raised in. And <laughs> yes. he, was like, he was like, wait a minute. Yes. Maybe this isn't what I believe. No, I agree with you for sure. I, I think that he, um, you know, I, to me, he's a character that kind of represents 
someone who um, is trying to live up to things. Yes. And then once you get to a certain point and you're like, I really don't want to do this. I might not want to be the opposite of this. You know, he's not going to, you know, he's not going to grow up and be an aura or anything like that, but yeah. he's, you know, he's, I think that he's someone who has to figure out who he is separate from his identity of his family. And I think that, and we haven't really discussed Curse Child on this podcast yet. Yeah. Um, I've never read Curse Child. I've, I've read like the, the synopsis of it, but Draco as an adult in Curse Child kind of has that, um, I think that his character has that sort of like monologue with, I don't know, I think he might be talking to Harry about this. And about the, you know, the shit that he had to go through as a kid and the stuff that he saw and how being a Death Eater, like, really, you know, crashed and burned his family to the ground and how he had to, like, kind of rise up out of that. Um, I said, I'll probably, I don't know, I'll read Curse Child at some point. (laughs) I just, I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, he's, I I feel like we had to have that discussion because he's one of the most prominent characters that we just haven't really touched on at all yet, so... Yeah, because he like he's not really a character that is made to be liked, but like if you think about and because we're in the sorting hat discussion, right? The the houses in the sorting, and like eventually we're gonna start talking about like motivations. His motivations probably are very Slytherin based. But like he also there are other things that he wants, and we just because of like how he has behaved in the books. It didn't necessarily like, he's not part of any favorite moment in a book or movie. Um, he's not like a favorite side character because he's a dick. Um, like, That's true. Yeah. He, there was no, there's no like situation where people are like, Oh yeah. Like I just love Draco Malfoy and I would just want to like chat about him. Like, no, but he is a very interesting character. And I think that, he and Harry have a very interesting dynamic. I mean, obviously they're just two boys who like don't get along, but like for different like reasons than like why Harry and Voldemort don't get along. <laughs> like right. Voldemort's actively trying to kill Harry. Draco's just like a little prick. So like um, it's, I think it's good that he has so much like quote unquote airtime in the books and movies because while he's not the actual real threat, he just like kind of brings it back to like, oh yeah, they're just kids and kids have like, just like everyday like squabbles of like, oh, I don't like you for one really stupid reason. Like I'm ignorant and I have to say do- dumb things. Like I think that that is good and that he is very well developed in like how he behaves and reacts to things. I agree. That's a, that's a really, you just make, such good points and it's yeah we're not going to have a discussion about like you said like our favorites our favorite side characters and include draco probably not some people might i don't know i mean some people might yeah some people might understand like well you know harry needs a foil and so will he he serves that function well or whatever like that i don't know i just i'm not a fan of his um but i understand that he's not a purely you know evil character now some people are like you know are drawn to the bad guy and then there's like fan fiction of like you know him dating Hermione or some shit like that like that I'm just like keep that like I don't want that like that's trash 
but I understand that he's not like, you know, I mean, he's a kid and he, he goes through these traumatic events that a kid shouldn't have to, but at the same time, it's like, you know, be a better person, Draco, please. Yeah, basically. <laughs> um, any, any last thoughts on, on any of the houses before we get to our next section here? No, I'm I'm excited to dig into houses we're sorted into and the quiz that we used for the sorting. I'm very excited for this. So yeah, um, we mentioned at the at the top of the episode that um, Emily and I both took a a, a quiz sorting us into different houses, um, and it's it's kind of deeper than that too. But I I kind of wanted you to explain it to people. Yeah, not like not super. I know it's not a super deep thing, but um, I, I, I just think it's interesting. So the, the sorting system that we use, so to be completely honest, a friend had heard that we were doing this podcast and they're like, oh, you should talk about what house you're sorted into. I'm like, well, that will probably happen, but we are not there yet. Um, that was us a month ago. So now we have gotten to this place and, um, they're like, well, you don't need to do the one on Potter. Like I did the one on Pottermore and like when I, when it came out, when the website came out, but, um, I feel like a lot of quizzes for Harry Potter, Harry Potter, like sorting, it's very just like the, oh yeah, you like to read, you're going to be sorted into Ravenclaw. Oh, you like to bake cookies, you're a Hufflepuff. Oh, you like sports, you're a Gryffindor, and you're like low-key evil, you're going into Slytherin, and um, I mean, obviously (laughs) none none of the quizzes are like, tell me that you're evil, like, Slytherin, it's, they're so unfairly treated. And that's probably another reason why they all end up being evil, but that's not here or there right now. Um, so we did a quiz that um, is focusing on motivations and methods in like, like how and why you do things, um, which is probably a more appropriate way to like sort people in their personalities. Um, the The houses aren't necessarily like all personality based because there's more to it. Like there's so many diverse characters in each house um, and none of them have like the same personality, but a lot of motivations come into it. So like um, for folks who are familiar with like the Enneagram, like that is a motivational test. Two people can be the same number type and be very different in terms of their personality and still have like a lot of the similar like motivations and fears and like just driving forces so we did that quiz and there was a primary and a secondary house that folks can be sorted into. Um, so we're going to just kind of dive right into this. It was, I, I am completely on the same page with you in terms of I've, I've taken, I've taken like one or two of these quizzes, not a Pottermore quiz, but like a Buzzfeed thing, maybe or something yeah. like that. Just like offhand randomly, it might've come across my timeline and I'm like, Oh yeah, I like Harry Potter. I'll, I'll, click it and I'll do it or whatever but this I was just so um you know first of all like this is this is going to be a great discussion or a bad discussion because I already like I overanalyze everything like in my life and so when I when I took the quiz it was I had a million different things that I was thinking about at once and I, I like texted you and I'm like yo this is <laughs> I'm like already too deep into this too deep into the weeds but I'm like thinking about like my career and my like life and like my <laughs> role as a father or blah, blah blah you know like all this shit but like um I was just I was so I was struck by how much of the quiz was like 
based on how you feel about things. Yeah. Versus like you said, like, I thought that it would be like, you know, would you rather watch a hockey game or go outside and play basketball or watch poker on TV or like, like that type of shit. You yeah. Know I mean? yep. And it's just like the, it was not that it was so much of the quiz is just like, um, here's a set of decisions. Like what, what decision would you make? And then how would you feel about that decision? Yes. And so I was just kind of like, well, damn, how do I feel about this? <laughs> So it's, it's a lot of it is just like your internal logic and then how you feel about the logic and like where that logic comes from. Mm-hmm. And so, um, like we said, like, this is such a big part of being a Harry Potter fan. I feel like is, is people doing these tor- sort of quizzes and, you know, you'll see people's Twitter profiles and in their bio, it has like their house or whatever, like that type of thing. It's, it is, it's a significant thing. And the, the, more of a fan that you are, I think the more important things like this are to you. And so when we were talking about earlier in our discussion, um, how I thought that most people would think of themselves as Ravenclaws because they think they're smart. I also think that there's a, there's a propensity to not think of yourself as a Gryffindor because Gryffindors are the most, you know, prominent characters in the story. Like Mm -hmm. they're, I have written in the notes, like they're like the carries. Like, um, um, that's something for my wife. My wife watches like Sex in the City. And we were oh, talking about I was wondering what that yeah. meant. <laughs> I was like, so the like, Carrie's, who's Carrie? Yeah, right. So like Carrie from, uh, which is, that's the main, that's Sarah Jessica Parker's. Yes. Thing, yeah. She's the main Do you character. watch Sex in the City? I don't. I have seen it. the first half of the first movie. I'm I, like, I get the, because Carrie is like, the, she's, it's about her. Right. And she's a writer or something. She's living in New York City. And that's about all I could tell you. Right. That's I I'm I know there's like memes about Sex in the City, but I've never really yes. seen the show, so I don't know. But I know that she's the the main character. And like yeah. that's what it is. Like Gryffindor is so prominent in the story that I would you know, most people aren't gonna like say that they're a Gryffindor or whatever. They're gonna try and find a different avenue in. Yeah. But, um but yeah, so what do, do you want to do you wanna how do you wanna do this? Do you wanna share what we got or like how how do you want to proceed here um we can talk let's talk about like our primaries and our secondaries okay um like what were your thoughts so like before this quiz when you took just the random like buzzfeed quiz what would you typically get i believe that i got ravenclaw okay and again i only took like two of the quizzes but i remember getting ravenclaw okay And same, like I would, for most of the quizzes, I'd get Ravenclaw or Hufflepuff, depending on like, like when I was in grad school, I worked in student affairs. So like, this is probably a softer time in my life. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then like outside of that, like Ravenclaw. Mm -hmm. Um, So then I assume when you took this quiz, you thought you were going to get like Ravenclaw as like your primary and then something else is your secondary or even your Ravenclaw as like your secondary. Yes, that's what I assumed. Just because that was, that was in my head. Okay, so then what was the primary that you got? Uh, so my primary was Gryffindor. Okay. The Gryffindor was my primary, and I have, like, some of the notes. I still have this up. Um, I'll uh, read what – because you take the quiz, and the first part is – the first part of the quiz, they give you the, the primary, and then you get selections where it's like um, – you can kind of – it's like a choose-your-own-adventure almost type thing. It's like – yeah. Um, okay, I'm a Gryffindor, now let me do secondary. Or maybe I'm a Gryffindor, but I don't know, I'm kind of 
torn between two houses. Can you explain more? You can click that. And then like, you just get these different options. And so um, I'm going to read a little bit here. It says Gryffindor, Gryffindor primaries trust their moral intuitions uh, and have a need to, and have a need and a drive to live by them. They feel what's right in their gut and that matters and guides them. If they don't listen to, if they don't listen to and act on that, it feels immoral. And so like, I was thinking about that. And when I, when I take these quizzes like this, like I try not to, I try not to take things to the extreme. I try Mm -hmm. to um, think about how I, how I would react in a normal, in a normal um, situation where it's like, uh, so uh, this isn't an exact question, but like uh, the style of these questions are like, um, you get presented with a choice and your, your mind is telling you one thing, but your gut is telling you another thing. Um, you decide to go with your gut. Like, how does that make you feel afterward? Like, that's the type of style that it is. And so I'm thinking to myself, like, I don't want it to be like, okay, you need to, um, you'll get fired if you don't do this, if you don't follow your gut on this. Like, I try to just kind of keep it down the middle a lot. And so it made the questions, um, it made the questions more difficult to me because I, I, my first instinct is to go to the extremes and then I have to remind myself like, no, don't do that. And so it just, it took longer than what I was anticipating. But when I got done with the first half and I was Gryffindor, I was like really surprised. But reading that, um, reading that description, I, I am like, I, I do have a really um, internalized morality, I guess. And I don't make the moral decisions all the time, obviously, because none of us do. Mm-hmm. But I do have something that's, I do have like a moral compass, I guess, in a way that's really, really prominent. And I have, um, I don't know, I have a lot of thoughts on that, but do you, let's, what, what, what other questions do you have? Or do you want to, you want to share your primary? Um, I can share my primary. Okay. Uh, it is also Gryffindor. Wow. Was, look at that. Yeah. I was very surprised by that when I took that, this quiz, cause I was like, Oh, really? Like, I don't feel that way. I think when you described like the, the Gryffindors are the carries or mm-hmm. whatever lead character you want to insert there. Like you don't think of yourself in that space typically. Um, so, but then like the, like the gut response. So like I, instead of like thinking like, okay, how would I act in a situation going through it? I was like, how have I acted in a situation? (laughs) Because Mm -hmm. how I want to act is very different from how I actually react to things. Um, Mm -hmm. Like in my head, I'm like, oh yeah, I'd be very like level head and logical about it. In reality, I'm like, oh my gosh, no, this is, this is right. And this is wrong. Like there, there isn't enough, I'm like, there isn't enough uh, information for me to decide differently. And so, um, even if I'm like, there isn't anything for me to be like, yes, like, no, this is actually wrong. There's still like that feeling of like cringe. And so, um, I was like, oh yeah, I get this, like making decisions, not necessarily based off of all of the deep or the information you've gathered, but like based off of like the, the intuition and also like your, your own personal morals. So, um, it's very interesting that we got the same one. So there's another part to the quiz 
after that, where that, that I mentioned before, mm-hmm. where it's like you can go a different direction. But it also, so at the end, it says, from your answers so far, you might also be a, and it gives you a different yes. potential for your for your primary. What was your you potential? Remember, my potential was Ravenclaw. Okay. But, and so I want to read. I want to read that, and I I had an issue with that um, about okay. the reasoning. So it says. Um, from your answer so far, you might also be a Ravenclaw. Ravenclaws want to do the right thing, but they think the right thing ought to come from careful reason, logic, and study, not anything internal. Their external sources might be a teacher, a religion, their own observations and logic, a legal system, or philosophy, but they avoid making decisions on any gut feel. This doesn't mean that they don't feel things in their gut, just like every, everyone else. They just try not to make calls based on that feeling. And when I go back, I want to go back and say something else about Gryffindor really quick, where it says yeah. um, Gryffindor can still be intelligent, deliberate creatures who weigh their decisions and moralities carefully. Reasoning, yeah. intellectualizing, and, and debate can be support for Gryffindor's felt morality. But those things can never fully, can never make a fully satisfying morality in themselves. Here's my issue. Um, so with the, uh, the Ravenclaw where it talks about... Um, external sources right external sources being the basis for making a moral decision mm-hmm. and it, it points to things like um like religion for example like religion is listed as an external source and to me it's not religion is an internal source yeah in my opinion and like your philosophy is an internal source like logic is it like all those things are internal to me that's not i'm i'm not separate from from those things and for me, morality is not surface level. Yeah. Right. Morality often requires um, study and it, it requires you really diving into um, why you're making the decisions that you're making. You know, yeah. I, I, I have an example of that, but I feel like I'm, I'm talking too much. So I want to I want to get your thoughts on that. And then I want to give you an example of what I mean by that. Um, I agree with you on that. Because, um, yeah, the morality thing, it's like, specifically that is a very, very deep thing. And you have to think about it. You, that's like a, a self-awareness thing. Right. So, like, I don't know how that would be an external factor. I don't know. I'm, like, a very... that I'm definitely, like, stomp, stumped by that, where I'm just like, wait, yeah. what? Yeah, it was just, it was a little confusing to me because um, I get like intellectualizing things. But like to me, when you intellectualize things, that's a really, for me, that's a really internal process. That's not something where it's like, okay, I'm not, I'm going to step outside of myself and then just go and try to, you know, make a pro cons list or whatever. Like all that stuff is really internal. Yeah. And so like, um, I'm going to use the example of like, um, so like morality or like, uh, you know, your philosophy, all of these things that you, in, we've talked about this in the series before, right? Like Harry, Harry makes decisions, especially in the last book, like Harry makes decisions based off of everything that he's learned from, you know, starting in book one. Yeah. And so if you compare that to someone's life, right? Like you're going to, like, I'm 31. I'm going to use everything that I've learned in my 31 years 
in order to make, if, if it's an important decision I'm trying to make, I'm going to, you know, use all of the knowledge and all of the experience that I've accrued in order to make that decision. And in something, it, it just, it takes, <clears throat> excuse me, it takes a, a real deep dive, in my opinion, in order to come to a more, like what you think is a moral conclusion if you're confused by it. And I say it, it, it like this, like religion is like, that's a really internal thing for me. Mm-hmm. And so I, I use the example of like um, the Good Samaritan, mm-hmm. right? The Good Samaritan is a, is a parable in the Bible that Jesus tells. And, you know, colloquially, the Good Samaritan is known, it's just a phrase that that's in our culture. Yeah. <clears throat> At meaning like a stranger who helps someone, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you're, that's, if you say, okay, that guy was, you know, I, I, I had a flat tire or that guy had a flat tire, that woman had a flat tire and then a random stranger comes and helps them change the tire and then they're able to drive away. Like that's a good Samaritan. Yeah. But it's deeper than that. Like the yeah. moral of that parable is, the parable starts with someone asking Jesus, who was a Jewish man, you know, he asked Jesus about, you know, eternal life and um, what's the most important, you know, aspect of living or whatever. And so Jesus tells him this parable about a guy who is beaten and robbed and two Jewish people pass the guy and they don't do anything. And the third guy is a Samaritan. The Samaritan is the one who helps the guy. And he goes through like these great links to help the guy. And like, that's the story frame that he uses to, to tell this person what morality is. And it's, it's shocking that a Samaritan is the good guy of that story because Jews and Samaritans hated each other. So like the point of it is that um, like the person had, the person who was asking that question had a surface level view of morality. Mm-hmm. His, his surface level view was just, you know, help a stranger. Right. Yeah. And, and the point of that story is like there, there aren't like everyone is your neighbor. There is no strangers. Yes. Like and it, it cuts across, you know, racial boundaries. It cuts across gender boundaries. It cr- cuts across sexual orientation boundaries like it, t- it crosses nationality boundaries. Like that's that's the point that Jesus was trying to make in that story is yeah. that, you know, that person had a surface level interpretation of morality and it, it it was deeper than that. And so like, that's, that's an example of how, um, to me, um, your internal morality is not, um, or your morality is just very internal one. And then two, like it takes a, a, a deeper thought process than, than, than the surface level, I guess. This is what I mean when I say I was too deep into this. Cause this I is, mean, these are the thoughts really, that I have. You really thought about it and like, um, I didn't even, I guess I didn't think about that as much. Um, this is going to be our last episode, everyone. Sorry, it's, it's, I'm already, <laughs> well, this is okay. my thought process, it's, if you don't know me. it's No, I like that you like thought about that like very deeply. And like, that's really good because I think there are like, characteristics or like not not that like morality is a characteristic that's like every single person um but like really leaning into like what you believe and like how it is like very much a part of who you are is like not 
it's kind of overlooked in like when people sort themselves or like they're so big into the sorting of like they're like oh it's like all these other things well it's like well also like it is kind of where you stand with like your values and like what do you where's your line essentially like are you are you trying to like really think deeper about this and be like oh yeah like this I believe this because x y and z and it's supported by x y and z or it's just like the very simple like oh well of course you would just like help someone um well no as it turns out we can see circling back to or slughorn he would have been one of the people that's just like eh, not my problem um right and so just thinking deeply about those types of like um you know characteristics of individuals like who really like i i assume most people are like no i have like a very set very set morals and like i won't go i won't do this but like there are oftentimes people are they find themselves in situations where they're like well my morals say i should do this but i'm willing to cut corners this time um yeah that's like where i'm where you went was like so much deeper I'm no like, oh I, my goodness no i I, <laughs> I think we're saying the same thing yeah yeah we're, what we're saying is that it's internal like yes. I, that's oh, my perspective yes yes like that's just my perspective because that's how i think and that's how you know that's what my belief system is and everything like that there are people who aren't christian right who yeah. still have this this strong moral yes compass. and yes. so you know, if you're if you're not Christian, if you're Jewish, if you're you know, if you're a Muslim, if you if you're not associated with any type of religion at all, if you're atheist, whatever, like most people have this um, guiding morality. Yes, within them though, it's not external from them. no. Like it's with, yeah, it's, it's very much internalized, in my opinion. And so, like that's I think we're saying the same thing in in that regard because like it's yeah. not. I, my perspective is just like, that's the way that I think in terms of like, you know, Christian morality and, and the morality in general. Um, but for people who aren't, you know, don't associate themselves with any type of religion, they're still going to make decisions based off of their experiences yes. and the things that they've been through and that they've learned. And then they're going to internalize that and say, this is what I believe and this is how I'm going to like yeah. act accordingly. And I just don't think that like, I I don't see how that's not internal. Yeah. There's no argument for it to be made as like an external thing. Even if it is like, someone's like, Oh, it's religion. Like people behave well because of religion. I'm like, ah, oh, I mean, like ultimately people still do bad things. Religion doesn't mean exactly. too much. <laughs> um, exactly. So I, I think you're right. And um, it, it is very much, it's as internal as just like who someone is as they're being like, it is part of who they are. It's a part of their identity. Exactly. And again, like I said, like, it's not, I, you can have these thought processes and you can claim whatever religion and you can still act in your own self-interest and act against your morality. I've, everyone has, I have, yeah. everyone has, Yeah. Um, okay. you know, daily. So um, what did, did you get, another like a, a second like what you might be a different primary than Gryffindor yeah and it was fairly surprising um 
Nothing like it is shocking. It was Slytherin. Um, Look so, at you, you old evil ass girl. I know. I, no, <laughs> I'm like over here, like I oh, yeah, secretly. I just. I mean, I how, might be. I don't know. How is that? Look at that. Like those. Like people. I would think about that as like opposites of each other, right? So, um, like, how did you? How did you feel? Well, so like reading through it. So it says Slytherin primaries prioritize their own selves and loved ones first. Uh, Slytherins don't feel guilty or selfish about this. They feel righteous and moral. The most important thing is to look after your own. Abandoning, abandoning or hurting one of your own is the worst thing you can do. Um, because it was very, like, you know, and the way they, like, responded or present the questions, it's like, you know, like, how would you feel about treating someone you love, like, a certain way? And I'm like, well, like, I try very hard to be, like, considerate of like people I'm very close to or like people in general, but like, it's a lot easier to be like, Oh, how is this negatively impacting my mother as opposed to how is it negatively impacting my neighbor? Um, and like a lot of decision-making, I think a lot of decisions we make, of course, directly impact ourselves and those closest to us. So I think in the, answering the questions, I was like, well, like, yeah, I want to like, make sure my family is doing well, my friends. And like, I like to think I try to help people like as much as I can. I don't know. Um, so I think it, how it kind of relates to the Gryffindor one is just the like needing to stand by like where, whatever your, you know, feeling is your intuition, your morals. Like, I think that probably with the, the family loved ones type thing fitting into that, like looking after yourself, looking after them. Um, it fits into that. It is still like a very, it's very odd. Cause I'm like, ah, I would never think of like a Slytherin like, like this, because again, the way Slytherins are presented to us throughout the series, like it's very much like their own self. Like they're very motivated to just like help themselves. And uh, like, ambitious which is great ambition is like personally I do think it's a very good trait because it's just like a driving force um so I don't know I have mixed feelings about it because I'm like well but Slytherins also do a lot of things that are bad for their own self-interest which we all do I just don't want to I don't want to think about myself in that where I'm like uh sometimes I do make really very selfish decisions well I think that two things that you that you mentioned really really stuck out to me from what you just said first of all um i was the same way on those questions like there's questions about you know my family's yeah my family's the most important thing to me my family the people i love the people i care about are the most important thing to me and i'm like yeah honestly like it's it's the the questions were that like there's a question where it's like i'm i'm more concerned with helping my family or those people being the most important thing to me or helping the world and I'm like, honestly, like when it comes down to it, like I want to help the world, obviously. Like that's what I yeah. want. Like I'm going to prioritize my family. Yeah. Like that's just, you know, I'm just being real. And that's where I, where I get into like extremes and stuff where it's like you can either like save the world or just, you know, take you and your immediate family into a volcano and only you survive. Like that type of shit. And like that's not like that's not realistic. Like I want to be um, – I want to be somewhat realistic when I answer the questions. So like that, like I agree with you for sure. And then secondly, we really don't see a lot of 
so like that question doesn't really translate to what we see from Slytherins in the books. Like, and off the top of my head, while you were talking, I was just thinking about um, families in Slytherin, like the, the biggest, the best example of a good functioning family in Slytherin, in my opinion, is the relationship between Bellatrix Lestrange and Narcissa Malfoy. Like those, they're, sisters and you can tell that they care about each other and they're investing in each other's successes and they're that's a really yeah you know they're two quote-unquote evil characters bellatrix is you know certainly an evil character yeah um narcissa is just like kind of you know passive bystander yeah <laughs> but she definitely loves draco like she's yeah, exactly. for his best interest also like she's not a nice person but she no. you know she loves her son she loves her family um you get a lot of her in the half-blood prince and her concern about you know helping draco and then in the um, in the last book where she, you know, I mean, you know, she helps Harry get back to Hogwarts basically, um, after his return from limbo with Dumbledore. So yeah. she's, and again, like that's her, you know, acting in her own self-interest, but her own self-interest is being reunited with her family. Yeah. But so you see like that family dynamic, but really the scenes between Bellatrix and Narcissa are really like, you don't, consider either either one of them to be like evil in those scenes like they're just like two sisters who really like care about each other deeply yeah like that's really the only context we see about families versus all the stuff with you know harry and his family the weasleys and um you know like it's it's that's the gryffindor side you see so much more of the the family orientation versus slytherin yeah i agree do you um, do you want to talk about what your secondary house was? Yeah. So the secondary made like a lot of sense to me. Um, it was Hufflepuff because <laughs> um, it's like Hufflepuff secondaries invest themselves into their world and service and support. So the the way the secondary you get like all new questions from the first set of questions. Um, after the, in this quiz, after it determines your primary, then it's like, okay, do you want to find out about your secondary? And you start to ask, it asks different questions. And so then those questions from them, I was like, yeah, like this makes sense. Um, like obviously as we just talked about with like the Slytherin and Gryffindor and, and I mean, Gryffindor being the primary, but like potentially Slytherin could have been it, um, I'm like, yeah, like I would, I love my family and I love my friends, whatever. But um, the Hufflepuff, like the secondary determines your methods. And it's just like, to me, I'm like, yeah, like in a perfect world, I would just be helping people like, and that includes the people that I like love, but also like the general world. Um, So the rest of this says when things turn out well for a Hufflepuff, it often comes as a result of those old investments culminating in giving back. Um, old debts might raise their head in a time of need. Communities the Hufflepuff has supported or built might marshal to their aid without even being asked. Their reputation might precede them, allowing them to trust or the allowances that they need. They spend the time and the work while a lot of that, a lot of the time that work may be invested in the people around them. It can also be invested in project systems and organizations and that work too may pay back in time of need. Um, I thought that was just like an interesting 
explanation, but I'm like, oh yeah, I'd like in terms of like the investing in people, like I've had the same best friends since I was 15 and like everywhere I've lived, I've like had, like, I'm still close with different people from those, like I'm very much a once I'm like, oh yes, we're friends. We're just like going to stay friends. Like investing in people is like, I, I think there's so much value in it, not only for like ourselves, but for like a community. Like it is so important to just like, that everyone, I think this is very much a personal thing, but I'm like, I think everyone needs to be part of a community and not just like a, oh yeah, we like meet up and like we're friends, but like a people understand what's going on in your life. And like, they understand your motivations and all these things. Um, and that you can like do the same for them just so that you don't end up with a Lord Voldemort or a Draco Malfoy, like people who are just like very miserable in the world and then take it out on the rest of the world. You make a good point there. Um, and it, it kind of makes me think about how much these houses like kind of overlap. So you, you mentioned yeah. about having, having a friend for, for so long, like that's loyalty, right? Like that's yeah. what, that's what, you know, Slytherins are known for loyalty and Gryffindors um, Gryffindors are known for loyalty. Like there's a lot of, there's a, um, there's a lot of overlap there for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have, um, you mentioned your friend, do you have like a friend group that you've had for a long time or is it just like that, that one friend? I mean, obviously you have friends that you had for a long time, but like, is there like a specific group of people or is it just like kind of you and that one friend since you were 15, like y'all are just like super tight? Like it's a group. So there's like a little, there's, we like went to a pretty small high school. So like a lot of us still talk and um, I would say there's like a group of us where we like chat and like, if we're all in the same area, we'll like hang out. Um, and then a couple people out of that group, like we all hang out a lot. And then someone else who went to high school with us is like friends with the group, but wasn't always like part of the group. And, um, like we're very close, like, um, and that's just kind of like, it's very fortunate. And I'm just like, I'm just happy to like be around good people, but it is a like, no, there's value in having friends long-term and like, they're going to be very unpleasant times. I think that's why, like when I talk to other people who are like, Oh yeah, like I don't still have friends from like high school or college. I'm like, but how, like I forced these people, like I, they cannot get rid of me now. Like we're to a point where like, I, we're just going to be friends until we die, I guess. Um, and I, I don't know. It's, it's one of those things where I'm just like, yeah, you just like, it's very simple. You, you take an interest in another person and you just like continue to talk to each other or, and like, it doesn't have to be like, I get that when you move, it makes it a little bit harder, but like, I don't, I don't know. And like, maybe it is like that loyalty thing where I'm like, oh, I just want to like know that we all are here for each other. And then like for other people, like, I don't know. Something you said about like, kind of tying everything together you just said in terms of like the value of having a community and having those close friends. Like that's just the type of thing that I wish that we'd gotten more in the books from Hufflepuffs. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Like I wish that we had kind of been able to spend a little bit more time with some more Hufflepuff characters. And I think that you see, this is, I mean, maybe this is me kind of projecting, but I think that you can kind of see that in these movies with Newt, right? Like Newt has this community of people around him. Yes. Um, that are, you know, helping him in this, um, first of all, just, you know, helping to get the, 
get the get the Fantastic Beasts and everything like that, but then like with the character of Credence and how how much help that he needs. Um, this is a little bit different than like a Harry and the Trio's journey where they're trying yeah. to like defeat this great evil. Like we're kind of getting that with Grindelwald, but especially in the first movie, it's more about, you know, like helping this lost soul mm-hmm. and how like a community of people who care about this person can, you know, kind of bring them off of this dark path that they're potentially on. But, you know, I, that's something that I think would have been valuable to have gotten more of in the, in the book series. I, I agree 100%. I also don't know how she could have presented that. I mean, was, right. Cedric was kind of her her opportunity to like really show that. And like he does try like he helps like you said, he helps Harry during the tournament. He's like trying to be like we're low key helping each other, but like don't tell anyone. Like he he is there for. It's like the same how like Newt has all these creatures that he's not supposed to have and Cedric's not supposed to help Harry, but like they, they break the rules because the rules are silly in that situation to them. Maybe like the authorities in Newt's world are like, no, like you shouldn't have all these animals, but he's being good to them. So it's fine. Um, And if Cedric, perhaps if he had lived, that would have been where he would see like the, the long-term like loyalty and community piece um with him and Harry because they you know experienced this traumatic event together I don't know there it's it would have been great if she had kind of written more into the Hufflepuff community aspect piece and their service and their like um just just all of it but I also don't I don't know how she would have done it (laughs) Yeah, I agree. I mean, there's so the story is about Harry, you know, it's we're going to spend the most time with Harry and his his friends and the people close to him who are, you know, overwhelmingly Gryffindor. So maybe this is a a chance through this through the Fantastic Beast series to sort of um, focus a little bit more on the Hufflepuffs. But again, like this this series, first of all, is it happening at Hogwarts? Yeah. And then secondly, it's just like not, you know, his newts. Hufflepuffness isn't really emphasized at all. So I don't know. That's the point of these quizzes, though, for us to talk about these types of things. So. That's very true. What is your secondary? Uh, well, we are a lot of alike because I'm also Hufflepuff uh, <laughs> secondary. And I, I'm glad that we did it this way because I'm, I'm listening to you talking about your, your friend groups and everything like that. And I'm the same way. Yeah. I, have two, I have two group chats um, of friends who I've been down with since some of them since middle school and the rest since high school. And, um, we chat all the time. We've, I've, we've talked a little bit, um, between the two of us about, you know, visiting friends in different cities and things like that. Um, I went to, um, visit my best friend in LA last year when I turned 30 and, um, most of our crew came out for that. So, um, really this one, this, I want to read a little bit more, Okay. Yeah. Uh, about about Hufflepuff because this really spoke to me even more than than the Gryffindor piece just because I I read this and I was like this is my career basically. Oh. Um. There is so. Let me go through here. Uh. It says. Um. So like all secondary like all secondaries, this sorting is about what a Hufflepuff wants to do, not necessarily what they are able to achieve within the constraints of life circumstance and health but a hufflepuff wants to show up they want to work well and fairly 
They want to achieve things honestly and stand on solid ground. Mm-hmm. This is what makes a Hufflepuff. They show up. They do the work, often for no obvious gain except for the satisfaction of a job well done. This is the source of their power, and, it's still, and it is slowly gathered, not obvious to look at and rarely spent. Where Gryffindors charge and Slytherins transform, the Hufflepuff seems inconsequential and harmless until the moment they rise up and call on all their debts, secrets, and trust. The part that I really wanted to emphasize where it's like they show up and they do yeah. the work out of no obvious gain. Like this is, you mentioned working in student affairs. I work in student affairs now at Iowa State University. Mm-hmm. And um, I work with um, students from, from marginalized communities and from underrepresented communities and a lot of first generation low income students. And um, there's a question on the quiz where it's like, this is one of the few questions that I remember specifically, but it was like, um, is your work in and of itself as a reward or something like that? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And I was like, I feel two ways about that. First of all, no, it's not. For, for me, the work that I do, the work in itself isn't a reward, but it is rewarding work. Yeah. And what I mean by that is that in a perfect world, my work wouldn't exist, right? Because there wouldn't be any, yeah. you know, the students I work with are, are dealing with, um, uh, you know, they're dealing with racism on campus. They're, they're dealing with, you know, all these things that they have to, you know, some of these students are, um, English isn't their first language. And there's all of these, all of these issues that these students are dealing with. And in a perfect world, um, there wouldn't be any racism, right? There wouldn't be any homophobia. There wouldn't be any transphobia. There wouldn't be any um, sexism. There wouldn't be any classism. But these things exist. And so that's where my job comes in. My job is to basically connect these students to resources to help them um, eventually achieve um, PhDs and to also um, just get them into grad school in general. And so the relationships that I've built through this job have been the most rewarding thing that I could have imagined. And so, you know, doing the work is often hard. It's, it's, it's exhausting. I come from, I have a marginalized identity myself um, as a black person at a predominantly white institution. So um, it's, it's, it's exhausting work and it's, it's, um, it takes a lot out of you and it's often isolating and it's often um, oppressive, but the relationships that I've built with my coworkers, with my students, that is the reward. And I don't do the work so that I can um, get a plaque or that I can get recognized or that Iowa state can, you know, put me on the front page of the website or whatever it is. Like I do the work because it's necessary and cause I'm passionate about it. Yeah. And so um, from that aspect of it, I, I just really, really connected to that um, that description of the Hufflepuff secondary. It was a very good description um, for it because, again, like you get the results. And I think for a lot of quizzes, it's just like you're this and you probably behave like that. And it's like two sentences. And it doesn't talk about like motivations or um behavior that like comes from those motivations so like you show up not like you do it because like one it's the right thing um and two because you just want to like like do a good job and um whatever you're doing it kind of 
help for the greater good, which I like to assume that most people like want to like do something for the greater good. That's like a very wrong assumption. Um, but I can definitely see how student affairs, if I had to guess most people in student affairs are either like a Hufflepuff primary or secondary, because if you're working in student affairs, you're getting the zero recognition. Uh, True. You're kind of like, there are days that you just want to like throw something out a window and not because it's like. Also true. Someone like comes to you and they're like, oh, I don't like this thing you put out. So like I work in an insurance company doing public relations. So it's not like someone is coming to you the way they might come to me to be like, oh, I don't like the way this press release is phrased. Like people are coming to you with like very big life problems that like you want to support them through that. Like again, like how people shift communities, like I, not everyone does, not everyone has someone who can, they can come to and be like, this is a problem. And like, especially at a PWI where like some of those experiences are so unique to certain students where they like might have friends that are their community, but they can't, tell them like the experience and have them understand and like be helpful (laughs) and um student affairs they're doing that they're hearing those things and that's like it's hard it's hard to hear that like some students can't go home it's hard to hear that like what happens to some students on campus like makes it where they don't even want to be there um and they don't feel like they belong there like i'm right like that's just so yeah I can definitely I would definitely see most student affairs folks kind of falling into this because you're you're not going to get like the recognition you're definitely going to like help people and build really good relationships with people um just given like how vulnerable people have to be in that situation it's funny because we it's like kind of referred to as the work quote unquote like yeah. student affairs people refer to it as the work doing the work yeah the work is just like you know that's um, that's like the jargon meaning, um, helping students mm-hmm. and connecting students to resources and, and helping students who are struggling on campus based on their identities. Yeah. That's what the work is. And so, um, doing that work is, you know, like we said, it's, it's, it's hard, but it's also, um, how you build community, like you build community with students with other staff members. And then in terms of um, like the descriptor said, where you kind of um, you're entrusted with these, you know, the, yeah. the descriptor say that you're, you're entrusted with these secrets or debts or whatever, but it's more um, in the context that we're talking about, it's more just like the relationships are what you're entrusted with mm-hmm. and you get to, um, like for me personally at Iowa State, like I've I've built good relationships with pretty high level administrators, right? Like with you know, mm-hmm. um, vice president of student affairs and you know the vice president of diversity and inclusion and like all these like really higher ups, these people who are reporting directly to the president, right? Like I've 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 through the work that I've been able to do, and this isn't like I'm not saying this shit to like pump myself up or whatever, but it's just like this is just reality, like these those those people are also doing this type of work and so that's yeah. how that's how i'm um connected to them and, and have built these relationships with them 
And that in itself really is, is how you build these networks. And then you'll, you know, you'll go to a conference and then you'll meet people who are doing similar work to you at, you know, at a coastal school or school in the South or, or whatever. So, um, all of these things kind of, um, go into you building this network and then, you know, down the line, that's how you really kind of advance in that career is like through the people that, you know, and, you know, maybe someone who works in Oregon is, um, you know, working at a, at a, at a small private school in, in, in Oregon has met you and has developed a relationship with you. And then there's a job and opening, Oh, job opening. And they send that to you like, Hey, I think you'd be really good for this. Like that type of thing. Like that's, yeah. um, that's really what I thought of when I read this descriptor. So it's wild though. You and me, man, like we're just really, <laughs> we're on the same wavelength. That's crazy. We are. That's really funny. I, um, I had guessed that you would be, I thought that your primary was going to be Hufflepuff. Really? Yeah. Just because knowing that you worked in student affairs, like I said, like, I just, I'm like, no, to work in, and especially what you do. I'm like, you, you have to be very sympathetic and very, what, what people like to brush under the word nice. Um, yeah. It's like, again, the worst descriptor because like, there's so many things that like people are meaning to say when they say that thoughtful kind like and working in student affairs like you can't be like a dick and work right. in student affairs. like it doesn't work um, right so I definitely that's why I was like oh that might be that would probably be your primary um but it being your secondary makes sense also I think that I imagined um I think that I imagined Ravenclaw for you okay just because I know like just from our conversations um and I, I was, I, I, I do wish that we knew each other like a little bit better than we do. Cause I feel like if we knew each other a little bit better, I could have had a more thorough grasp on like, I would have, oh yeah, Emily's going to be, you know, blah, blah, blah. But we're still like, even through this process, we're still kind of getting to know each other. But just from what I know about you, like your, just the way that you speak about this series and like the ideas and the thought that you have, you just seem like you're a very intellectual person. So I was just Thank like, you. I could tell. Like, I was like, oh, she's going to be Ravenclaw for sure. No, it's a facade. Um, I, <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I think I wanted to be Ravenclaw. Like, that's where I was like, oh, yeah, like, that would make sense. Like, I try to read. I try to, right. you know, <laughs> I try to consume things so I know what's going on most of the time. But it's not because I'm like, oh, yes, I get this. Um, I, um, yeah. So I am surprised. That, and then, like, with the... Like for when you had Gryffindor and then it's like, you might be a Ravenclaw. Um, and then like your reaction to it, that was what, that was also something I did not expect. I tried to, I like looked through Ravenclaw and I was just like, uh, I don't know. Cause I did my first reaction was not like there's, I 0% chance thought I was going to get Gryffindor. That was a complete shock to me. Okay. Yeah. And so when I got it, my first instinct was to be like, mm, no, nah, I don't think so. But like reading the, reading the description, yes. I'm like, yeah, okay. Like I, you know, I, I get that. Um, it's funny. Cause with Hufflepuff, when I read the description, I was just like, yeah, I'm not even gonna, I don't even remember what my, you might be a whatever else for secondary. Cause when I read Hufflepuff, I was like, yeah, that's me hundred percent. Yeah. But um, yeah, I don't know. I, it was a, it was definitely a shock to me. And I'm, I, I am one of those people that tried to, um, I didn't really envision myself as someone who's associated with like the most prominent house in the story, but 
again, this is why we do this. It's why we take the quizzes, I guess. It's true. And so like with these quizzes, I have two questions um, with it. Like, do you think that like the four houses, like, is it limiting or does it leave it open? Because like people are very different in each house. So like it leaves space for their, for people to have like multiple layers while also kind of being under one. Okay. So like your motivation is probably this, like, do you, or yeah. Where do you sit with that? So are we talking about in terms of like us taking the quizzes or like within the context of the story? Just like in the context of the story and then kind of how it's like spilled out into like the fandom where people, you know, they're like, I think I belong in this house because of this. Like, do you think that maybe initially it it wouldn't have been limiting or it was, I mean, I don't know. What, What do you think about like it overall? I think that it is limiting just from the, okay. from the standpoint of we only, we don't really get this deep. We don't get as deep as this quiz is in, in the broad, in the broad sense, like yeah. in the broad sense, it's like, I feel like this is me speaking, maybe I'm wrong, but in the broad sense, I feel like, you know, I see myself as a smart person, yeah. who, you know, is, you know, I'm, I'm in school, I was really concerned about getting good grades and like yeah. that type of thing. So for that reason, I'm a Ravenclaw or, you know, I'm really brash. Like I'm really, um, I kind of just fly by the seat of my pants and I'm really, um, I really act on instinct. So for that reason, I'm a Gryffindor, right? Like that's usually where, what we get with these things. Yes. Like maybe if, it, maybe if the overall perception of houses was a little more nuanced in the way that this quiz is nuanced, maybe... And and then even like the the primary secondary aspect of it, like I didn't even I'd never really considered that before I took this quiz. Like it's it's there's a really rigid um, yeah there's a rigidity to how we sort ourselves in the houses. I feel like as fans, and this quiz isn't like that. So maybe if it was a little bit more nuanced like that, it wouldn't be as limiting. But in my opinion, in in the in the broad general context, it is it's a bit limiting. What do you think? Um, I think I agree that it can be limiting when, yeah, just like the way that people just kind of associate certain things with each each house and it's like, oh, well, I'll I'll be this or even in the books where like, well, I'm in this house, so I behave like this or they put it on each other where like, oh, well, they're in this house and that's, you know, they're going to be like this. Um, And I think that the the houses are a fun part of the story, but I also, in a story that's like highlighting a lot of different ways that people are making it us versus them, the houses are not helpful Um, because it only makes it more like that where everyone's like, well, like the Slytherins are like evil and the Gryffindors are doing this and the Ravenclaws are in their ivory tower and the Hufflepuffs are down by the kitchens, just like hoping for the best. Like, I don't, again, fun part of the story, but I don't know if it like translates well into like how people think about like the characters where they're like, well, like, and I think Cho, let's think about Cho where she's like, we know she's in Ravenclaw. We we know she like kind of has this little bit of a story, and so then we're going to put all these other things on her because she's a Ravenclaw, but we don't know because we did not get like a fully fleshed out story from her. Like maybe she is very intelligent, but also very like 
insert adjective from any other house, right? Yeah, I think like I I just I think about I can't remember which book it was, but like towards one of the, maybe the fifth or sixth book where it's just like the sorting hat song is like maybe I shouldn't even sort y'all, right? Because it it yeah. just it it causes such unnecessary division in these yes. times where we need to be coming together. And yeah. yeah, like someone like Cho in like you were mentioning, even in like in the fifth book where um her and her friend kind of become like scapegoats for outing Double Doors Army where um it's like Marietta or whatever and they yeah. get the the pimples. Um, yeah, the pimples because they cause they snitch because of Hermione's spell. But like that happens and then from the other students' perspectives, it's like, well damn, like they're, you know they're the reasons why we got in trouble. Like they're the ones who kind of messed everything up for us. And then it's just very othering. Yeah. And it's very, um, it just separates unnecessarily a lot of times. So I definitely, yeah, I agree with you. And then um, this is like less of the, it separating them out, but just like people change throughout their life. So like realistically, if you're sorted into a house when you're 11 years old, is that like really where you're going to be as an adult? Yeah. And it says, it just follows you and it becomes so much of a part of your identity Yeah, from when you're, you're literally a child, like you're an yeah. 11 year old child. And that's just such a, it's different versus like when, you know, you get to college maybe and you, you join a fraternity or, or you become a part of an organization when you're older and that becomes, you know, really a part of the fabric of who you are. Um, that's different because by that time you're, you know, you're a more fully realized person yourself. Yeah. Um, not necessarily. I mean, even if you're 18 or whatever, you join a frat, like you're still, you're, you're more of an adult than when you're 11. Right. Like it's just, yeah, it's um, people's, people's identities change or their, their, their values change. And, you know, you go through these life experiences and um Yes, yeah, that's a difficult thing to place on a child for them for that to follow them. And the, it, like someone like we keep talking about this person, but like Luna, like Luna's, you know, she's 11 and she's sorted into Ravenclaw. But by the time she's, you know, 17, she's had all of these experiences where she's had to display her bravery and her courage and her yeah. her wit and her um, her wits like just have to come up against all these crazy dangerous life or death situations. And she's just tried to had to like use her intellect, honestly, for sure, but also like her bravery and her daring to get get through. So it's like, you know, she's taking on these aspects of like a Gryffindor as well. So all these life changes happen and it just, um, the things that you go through in life really informs your personality and your values and your, your views on things in a way that, um, you know, you're just not a fully realized experienced person when you're a child when you're 11 so for sure I totally agree and I think you explained that really well as to why they should not be sorted <laughs> as kids they should. this is an anti-sorting podcast officially yeah, yeah. by the end of the, the sorting talk we're like oh actually not a great idea not the best um it's somehow created more problems having people yeah. sorted into houses yeah oh. i just yeah really cool that she kind of acknowledged that too in that book i can't remember which yeah. book it was but that sorting has song really interesting 
This was such an amazing conversation. This was so fun. This, this was, was, I was so excited for this. Yeah, this is great. Um, man, this is really dope. Do you want to talk about next week's uh, episode? Yes, I would love to. So we love talking about houses. We've also loved talking about like our favorite characters, our favorite movie moments, our favorite book moments, um, side characters. Like you, what have it? If we've not talked about it, like let us know so we can talk about it next week. Um, it will be a mailbag episode, so you can send questions, comments, concerns, interpretive dances, um, whatever you want. We want to hear from you so that we can talk about it to kind of wrap up this mini series of Harry Potter. Um, it like it has been so much fun and like we've had fun I know that we've had fun and I hope that you the listener have had fun had had fun so um, yeah let us know what we can like kind of revisit or what did we not visit we want to make sure we cover it all I'm excited to hear the questions very Same. excited to hear the questions and kind of hash out our thoughts on the questions as well it's going to be super dope Oh yeah. I feel good about it just cause like we're both, I feel geeking out over the Harry Potter stuff. So like just to have more people like engage in this conversation will be awesome. And then also, I guess at the, at the end of next week's episode, we'll kind of reveal where we're going next. What, uh, what pop culture phenomenon we're going to tackle after Harry Potter. So a little tease for y'all as well. That'll be great. We'll talk to you next week. Yes. Thank you so much for the conversation. Thank you all for listening. Uh, Like Emily said, we'll see y'all next week. Thank you. Thank you.